Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media presents The History of Being Black. Hello, and what up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I am here with a special legendary guest. What's my DJ name? DJ Cut Creator. How are you doing, good sir? Hey, man, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing well. You know, this right here is a personal one that I did not write down, but I was when I was doing my background search on you, I had to really think about this and self-check. You are the first DJ name I ever heard in my life, in my hip-hop life. When I, when I think about... DJ in the title, you are the first, when L said, what's my DJ name? Cut creator. Like, you are the first DJ name I had ever heard. Before then, I didn't know what they were doing on the turntables when I was a kid. Like, I didn't I didn't know what that was. You know what I'm saying? But LL was such a superstar when I was coming up and when I was a kid, and I bought his tape at the gas station, that hearing your name and knowing what that was, that was like a big deal to me. So I just want to say... Hello to you sincerely from myself because Thank that's you, when man. I really started to understand what this what this rap you know it was like rap music but what this hip hop thing was. Thank you, man. That's wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can say yeah. is thank you on that one. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, how you been? How's everything going I, with you? I mean, I'm I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Um, living life, enjoying life, and um, just having a good time. You know, not trying to work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, when it comes to the craft of it, does DJ feel like work still or is it still just love? Uh, for me, it's love. You know, I do it because I want to do it. I don't do it because I have to do it anymore. Uh, so I, I would say love. I mean, as far as like background wise, in that era, taking those records and doing it, what you was doing with it. Did you grow up in a musical family where like where records at your disposable or you had to learn out in the streets like, you know, like a lot of DJs. It's funny you said that. Yes, music. Uh, I do come from a music family. Uh, my dad was the band leader for Wilson Pickett. Mm-hmm. Uh, played with the Isley Brothers. Played with Sam and Dave. Jack Phil, um, right? Jack, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my dad was a big influence on me. Now, me personally, I started out playing drums and trombone in the 70s. But, you know, um, that's when the wave of music kind of started changing, like, you know, horns weren't sexy back then. <laughs> we're coming, you know, we're coming out of, you know, the funk and bands and, you know, mm-hmm. so. It was about that bass guitar back then. Yeah. But even after that, that's when the turntables started coming about. Mm-hmm. Like 76, 77. No, that's how I got into it. I, I tell my mentees all the time that they have no idea. Because, listen, I remember when rap was still considered a fad. Nobody was taking it seriously. It took years for that credibility um, to be in that. With your pops being a musician, was he supportive of that or was he dismissive of it? Like, what is this? In the beginning, in the beginning, they're like, what you doing? You know, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm, you know, I'm playing y'all's music, you know. But uh, he was very supportive. Yeah, my pops <laughs> was very supportive. And where did a DJ Cut Creator get his inspiration from as far as saying, okay, I'm going to put down the horns and get behind these tables uh 
a bunch of my neighborhood friends, you know, a bunch of the neighborhood kids that, that we all grew up on the same block or, you know, you know, a few blocks away from each other. That's where it came from. But then there was some popular DJs that really don't get the credit they deserve. Uh, like DJ Hollywood uh, is a legend. Uh, Pete, uh, Pete DJ Jones, DJ Flowers, Eddie Chiba, uh, DJ Divine from a group called Infinity Machine. They, they're the ones that really kind of got us going. Now, interesting enough, DJ Hollywood name has been coming up a little bit. I've noticed lately, you know, with the celebration of Hip Hop 50. And I think I, you know, read, was he somebody that we should elevate more? Because I've also heard or read certain places where sometimes he would get on the mic and be like, this ain't hip hop or this ain't rap or whatever the case. He was like dismissing it. But there are still people who give him credit for being a pioneer in that culture. For you, what do you say when you hear about DJ Hollywood? Hollywood's the godfather, man. They, people can say what they want. You know, um, I'm not going to knock anybody. Um, but, you know, there's people getting credit. I've never heard them DJ before her in my life. <laughs> You know, Hollywood, Hollywood used to open up for James Brown in the set, like in 73, you know, and um, he's, he, if you listen to him play like tonight, I mean, like tonight, today, you will hear the Kid Capris, you will hear all that coming out of Hollywood, you know, coming from Hollywood, I should say. Yeah, that's real. That's real. I mean, for you, what was it that made you say like, okay, was you still just doing it for fun? Or was it when you met LL and things start popping as far as like actually going on tour? Like what was the start for it for you personally? Well, uh, 77, when I started, I was doing it for fun. Uh, I was my freshman year in high school. So I started working, um, you know, going to school. And, I, you know, I was a lot of people don't know I was an amateur wrestler and I was uh, pretty good. You know, got a lot of scholarships and, you know, I got a scholarship to go away to school. And um, that's the re that's when I. I was, you know, not serious about it at all. And uh, I went to a big school <laughs> and didn't really pan out. So I came back to, you know, City College in New York and um, picked up on the DJ a little bit more because I was home with my friends and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's how it really became. When it came serious is when I met LL and he got his record deal. And even then I wasn't taking it serious. You know, it was like, a part-time gig here, a part, you know, a gig here. It wasn't, it wasn't big at all. Did you start off technically doing the cuts or did you kind of develop that at first? Cause that was still something that was considered kind of pioneering and every DJ couldn't do that back then. They can't do it now. But what was that for you? Um, I was, believe it or not, this is the story. A lot of people don't know. I wasn't the first cut creator. I was not the first cut creator. I, my name is Jay Philpot. They used to call me Cool J. There was a guy by the name of Philip who had the name Cut Creator. So what happened was, I think he did one show with us. And he was like, he was one of those guys. I'm not saying he was a bad DJ at all. He was a good DJ. But what happened was, when he got in front of people, he didn't know how to perform. He was he would clam up. So me and LL just did our old routines and stuff. And that's how... He kind of fell out of out of the situation. I fell into that situation. And, you know, it went on and on and on. And I became cut creator after the first gig. So like the way uh, Ric Flair wasn't the original Nature Boy. A lot of people yeah. don't know that. <laughs> Who was it? Buddy Buddy Rock. Yeah, Buddy, Ro- Buddy Rise, yeah. He was Buddy Rose or somebody. Yeah. He was the original Nature Boy. A lot of people don't know that. He just took that and ran with it. 
Mm -hmm. um, such as what you did. How is it that you met LL? I mean, I know you're from Queens also too, so but Queens is pretty big. Y'all grew up around the way or what? Oh uh, yeah, we lived. Uh, let me see, four or five. We probably lived about four four blocks away from each other. Mm. Yeah, four blocks away from each other. But they were small blocks, so it wasn't like you know huge blocks. So you see everybody, and where I lived, you seen everybody because everybody had to get off the bus. I lived on the corner, so everybody, okay. you know, you know, maybe three blocks would get off the bus there. So you see every everybody every day. Or getting on the bus in the morning, you know, getting a coffee or whatever, whatever. So, but your relationship with him, you kind of start off like as a big homie first, right? Like a big brother, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, how how does that happen? Is it just because I know I had big homies that raised me, and I've talked about it on the show often, and it's something I try to bring to light: the importance of those big brothers in the neighborhood and what they do for us. Mm -hmm. What was it for you that kind of? That role was that for you for just a James Todd Smith? Well, LL was wild, man. He was a wild kid, man. And um, his mom, I used to, I used to be probably one of the few people that can calm him down, mm. you know. And um, his mom entrusted me, you know, to look out for him. And you know, I would check him if he needed to be checked, and you know, things like that. But he, he was wild. He was buck wild. Was it because of your demeanor? Or you had a reputation already? What do you think it was that made him listen to you out of everybody, out of a lot of those people? Combination of both. Okay. Combination of both. Uh, I had a reputation, you know, being, you know, in wrestling and and in good shape, and you know, uh, I boxed a little bit, so you know, you know, I had a little reputation on that. And then, you know, when I was serious, I was serious, you know. So it was a combination of both of those questions. So there was a couple of chins you put to sleep. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> I had a friend who was a, who was a wrestling champion. Wrestling is different. Like when you actually yeah. do it, you, yeah, y'all, yeah, cause you don't know where the movement come from. You right. have, you have no idea. So I can only imagine what it was like in Queens during that I, era. I'm going to tell you a funny story. I did an interview not too long ago and we we're talking about Mike Tyson. Mm -hmm. And I said, in my prime, in an MMA fight, I could think I think I could handle Mike Tyson. And they said, Well, you know, man, Michael kill you. I said, if I avoided the blow, mm -hmm. the initial blow, his he wouldn't be able to hang with me. And what I meant by that, people were like, oh man, Michael, you know, da, da, da. I said, let me tell you something. How many and I proposed this question. Sorry to go off track, but no, go ahead. I said, I said, how many MMA fighters that are boxers are successful? Mm. James Tony got killed. All the boxers that went in there got killed. Carissa Shields, I think, tried it. The female, you can't. There's, it's more to it. Like, you just have to avoid that first blow. You know, Mike's punches. You mm -hmm. avoid that, would it be a problem? But Mike is such a student of fighting. Mike, there's a feeling I have that he might agree with that or at least accept that because he studies fighting especially mm -hmm. when you hear him talk now. So when you break it down like that, I think he would understand that as far as in the different degrees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, it was a joke. I, I, I would never fight. Even if it was, I wouldn't have yeah. fought him. You know, like Tyson now. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> fight him, no, man. He's one of the greatest of all time. I mean, I mean, he'd probably beat the brakes off me with five seconds, man. You know? <laughs> 
Even no, now, he probably beat me in ten seconds. You know? Oh, I, it's, I'm, it's, it's, I'm not trying. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. Totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I'm it's, just saying. I'm just saying. In that round of um, of mar- of arts, mm-hmm. wrestling is something that you know you could choke a guy out so quick. You know, like, like that MMA is, is serious, man. I would never do that. When you when you talk about the seriousness, though, what was it for you when LL came to you and said, "I got this deal." Come with me. Like, did you take it, was, it seriously initially? No. No. <laughs> He'll tell you that. He thought I was joking. You know, I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, I, you're talking about when you got in 16, 16. So I might have been 20. Mm-hmm. So I might have been there, yeah, like 20. So, um, you know. I ain't take I'm 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 on some other stuff right now, you know. College, <laughs> girls, you know, on my own car, finally got a car, you know. So I was on my own, you know. I was I didn't really care. When did you start to believe? Like what what was that feeling for you? When was it precisely when you believed? Uh when it when it really started hitting the radio. Okay. When the music started hitting the radio, I was like, oh, okay. You know, we would make a a little bit of money here and there on the weekends, you know, some of the nightclubs. Eh. Then when we went to, I think it was Baltimore with the Fresh Fest, with Run and Curtis Blow, the Fat Boys, and started playing with them, then it was serious, like arenas and stuff like that. I always wondered that because when you start seeing the arenas, because you guys were kind of coming up around the same time. So, Mm -hmm. and growing up in New York, you is, is it safe to assume that even when you were on tour with Durant, you wasn't really kind of like celebrity shot because you see these guys around the way and all y'all was trying to make the same thing happen at the same time. So was there a time where you was looking like, oh man, we on tour with Ron? Or was it, like you said, the audience itself is when you're like, oh man, they came to see us. Right. It, it was the audience because me, let me see. <clears throat> me and DMC live, let me see if I can count blocks. <clears throat> Uh, we probably lived six to seven blocks away from each other. Me and Jam Master J lived maybe six or seven. So Jam Master J lived like 10 blocks. Um, if you said took a three mile radius from up, from where I am, where I live, you had so many ce- celebrities that came out of hip hop legends that came out of that area. I mean, from the, from the tribe called quest to the 50 cents to the jaw rules to, uh, yeah, so many. Hype Williams, Russell Simmons. Um, whew, and I'm not even talking about like Queensbridge and that. That's you know a little further out, but it it was it was a lot, a lot. Uh, Onyx, you know, uh, so many people. I mean, if y'all stayed around the block from each other, then wh- why was Jam Message about to shoot y'all, man? Oh man, fresh <laughs> Jay, Jason, Jason was one of the nicest guys you ever wanted to meet, man. Yeah, Jason, Jason is just a nice guy, man. When, for me, I, I so Crush Groove has a special place in my heart because my, I was in single digits, but my bigger cousins, I never forget when they used to take us to the movies, we all had to flip a coin as far as who could make the movie choice. And I lost that movie choice because I think as a kid, I wanted to see y'all. Uh, Transformers or whatever, but we went to go see Crush Groove. But it turned out to be the greatest thing in my life because I was the cool kid when I came back to elementary school the next day because I seen something 
that a lot of the kids was not allowed to see. The adults allowed me to see this. So I was like mm-hmm. in. And I still, and I didn't know I was going to feel this way, but when I went back and watched it on YouTube, that feeling when LL walks in that room, y'all, and he says, box, I still feel that in that way. I mean, did y'all, mm-hmm. was that little small scene, even though he was not throughout the movie, that was the only scene? How did that change y'all lives after that part? Believe it or not, that blew LL up. That blew him up. That one little scene blew him up. I mean, we were probably getting... maybe a thousand dollars to do a show after that it went to five then it went to ten then we were you know a year later we're on tour with running them again for real you know but like headlining like not headlining but a major head you know major artist on the tour not just a you know throw in you know but um yeah it, it changed a whole lot that visual changed his whole career what was it like as you started to see this culture, you know, grow, is it something that you look back on hindsight or in that moment, could you feel that shift? Um, that's interesting. Uh, my, believe it or not, at that time, I was just riding a wave because you're talking about from radio album to bigger and deafer. I was riding the wave and it was a good, it was a, that was a crazy ride. Cause you're talking about on the raising hell tour, the next year you're seeing your headline in the Def Jam tour. But mm. then after that, the next year it was dead. It was kind of dead. You know what I mean? Uh, so then you're like, Oh man, you know, what's going to happen? You know, are we going to make money? You know? So you, you, I was riding the wave, but I, I was serious about it. But I, we're still riding the wave, if you understand what I'm saying. I had to have something in my back pocket, just you know, just in case. What made it dead? To you know, from your perspective, what made well, it dead? Well, uh, it had a little change. You had Big Daddy Kane, you had Rakim, you had Public Enemy, you had KRS, you had uh, those guys that came right after us. They were they were you know evolving, mm. so. That you know, that was a whole new way of you know, who new. Let me see. You're talking about from three to three, three and a half years to us. Now you got a new crop of guys coming up. You know, different styles and you know things like that. So that's what really happened. And you know, people, people, you know, t- tend to uh, get with the new things. You know, the new trends and stuff like that. So we put out an album that didn't do so well. Um. Uh, what was it? I think it was Walking with a Panther. Walking with a Panther? Yeah. Didn't okay. do that well. Didn't do that well. So we had to regroup, sit down and regroup, and kind of figure out a new direction. Figure out a new direction. And, um, you know, that's what uh, The Mama Said Knock You Out came out with Jingling Baby and Around the Way Girl and all that, which were all major hits. I had wrote an article for uh, AURN about hip hop significant years. And one of the years that still stand out is 88 because it seemed as if in that year, there was a lyrical shift, a musical shift. 
when you look at that famous picture of like everybody on there, it's like LL, I think it's like Melly Mel, Ron DMC, you know, they're all like kind of standing with their arms up. I really can't remember who took the photo, but there's so much about where hip hop went after that, you know, like after 88 in that. And one of the things I recall is the shift of the DJ because mm-hmm. the DJ was always well, the head. Well, you're exactly right. It's exactly what I'm talking about. You're definitely correct. That was 88 with all those new, Faces started coming about. Uh, Kid and Play, uh, Salt and Pepper. No, Salt and Pepper was around a little bit longer, but uh, Kid and Play and uh, a bunch of folks started coming out, you know. Um, but you're absolutely right. It was around 88. Yep. Yeah. It was 87. Yeah, about 88. What was it like for you as the DJ, though, when the DJ started kind of taking like a backseat, like not being mentioned as much? Uh, that was interesting. You know, the DJs pretty much created the hip hop, you know, uh, hip hop format. But, you know, it did change. And um, that was interesting. And, you know, the rappers came to the forefront. And um, that was pretty much that was interesting, though. Because, um, like, wait a minute, you know, I thought I was, you know, this, mm-hmm. you know, and all the rappers and, you know, a lot of endorsement situations where they didn't want the DJs part of it. You know, it was the rappers, you know, situations like that where um, they didn't need the, the DJs, you know. Do you think the rappers should have fought harder to keep y'all name there? I mean, you know what I'm of saying? Course. To make that argument? Okay. Of course. So it you became know, it, more... it, it, it's Go actually ahead. funny. It's funny now because you got a lot of rappers trying to be DJs again. I was just about to get to that. <laughs> you know, and, and and the crazy part is, I play with the rapper, um, was CIAA Weekend. I'm not going to mention their name. And the guy said, "Well." You play for this time, they're going to play for this time. I said, are you sure? So where, where the venue was, was a hotel where we stayed at also. So my boy that sets up my gear, he was like, I said, when I'm done, take it up to the room. Take my stuff up to the room. Man, it went from 2,000 people to 200 people within 15 minutes. Ooh. So... Yeah, I mean, this is something I do. This is something I live for. This is something I study. You know, uh, music. Music is just, I guess, technology made it easy for people. But it, it, it's not as hard. It's not as easy as people think it is. What would be that? I have my theory, but I will want you to say it. What would be the evidence of that? Because you're right. It does feel like anyone could just become a DJ. Per se. But what's the evidence that you know whether or not the skill set is real or not versus it just is not there? The main thing is the main thing, believe it or not, is music. A lot of them don't know music. I don't care. You can have virtual DJ Serato, all this stuff doing the work for you. But if you don't know the music, you know, or how to read a crowd or fill a crowd out, it's all worthless. You can have the top, top best technology, but if you're not, like I said, if you don't read the crowd or know the music, it's worthless. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So break down to me real quick. What is the know the music? Just for those who don't know. Well, you're not just going to play the same 20 songs that they play on the radio or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to play hits. It's okay to go dig in crates and play classics. You don't have to play the same thing everybody's playing. You know, you can go all over the place. And music is something that people enjoy and they love to hear and they love good music. You know, you can you can have a bar or club, even if they're not dancing, but if people are vibing, you're playing good music, you know. It doesn't necessarily have to be a packed dance floor all the time, but, you know, it's just good music, man. Music. There were a lot of DJs who, when I think about, like, the Marley Mars or even Dr. Dre, they were DJs slash producers, and so they were able to kind of keep their name in there because of that. Was that something at that time that you were interested in or did you ever do, but a lot of people probably don't know you produced the record? I produced a few, but that wasn't my thing, B. Mm-hmm. That was that man. I produced a few records, but it, it it got to be a rat race, and you know I don't. I just I started doing other things. Became a rat race as far as like a trend. Yeah, yeah everybody, you know, so many producers now, mm, you know, okay. and then when the technology started changing. Oh man, I remember going to a, a producer song. And it was kind of a house dance song. The dude was like, yo, I love that. I love it. But it don't sound like this. I said, what do you mean? It wasn't supposed to sound like that. You know, they wanted you to make songs that sounded like, well, can you sound like this producer? Or can, like, you know what? I'm sorry. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> do, you, know, you feel that, do you feel that, that I was going to ask you that later but since you kind of brought it up how much do you feel hip-hop took a hit when the commercialism you know started really stepping in um it took a hit when the corporations started getting involved you know the big record labels there were you know you're talking about people it took a hit Okay. You did like this, so I was like... Oh, no, no, no. My fault. I was scratching. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. It took a hit when um, the major corporations started getting involved, and you didn't have the small kind of labels that really were hands-on. Yeah, that's when it really took a hit, because they wanted you to do something. You know, they wanted that uh, top 40 hit, you know. It wasn't about black music anymore or R&B or, or the chart, you know, the black charts. It was about top 40. Who could get on top 40? You know, you, have, you know, if you can be a, a raw bass and get, you know, a song like It Takes Two, you know, a major, you know, crossover song, you know, then you're good. But then when people start, 
trying to tell you how to make music and you're sitting there like, what are you talking about? You know, who are you to tell me how I feel? Music is a feeling, you know what I mean? And who are you to tell me how to, you know, feel the way I feel? It is interesting that a corporation that went decades, possibly, ignoring the culture, then when they saw there was money in it, not, a, not only do they want to profit, but they want to tell you how to make it. Mm-hmm. I call them ball hogs. <laughs> you, you ever go play basketball in a park or the gym, and it's that them people that do not pass the ball, they tell you how to move and all that. They ball hogs, and don't know and don't can't play <laughs> at all. But yet they they doing all of that. What what was an era that you, I would say, like didn't see coming? In an example, I would say like you know, the rise of the South or, you know, West Coast music, because you start off in Queens, hip hop was in one sector and we all was listening to it. And then it, it started, started growing. It was a couple of times when, when West Coast came about, like when Snoop came out, that was fire. Mm-hmm. You know, then you know, it was when Biggie and them came out. Then there was when Outkast, those, I'm talking about those periods. Mm-hmm. When Outkast in the South came out, you know, uh, I think it was Andre 3000 said, the South got something to say. Mm-hmm. They did. They did. When when he said that, did you get where he was coming from in that moment? Or when the wave came, it was like, oh, snap. Yeah, when the wave <laughs> came. Yeah. Because remember, Houston had a big wave that came out too. Slim mm-hmm. Thug, Paul Wall, a Chameleonaire. But they had a big wave and then they had, you know, Destiny's Child yeah. come out. So Houston had a big wave too. Yeah, that's real. What what were some records that you could name as a DJ though, that when they came out, you was like, this is, this is about to be big that you kind of knew before everybody else. You was like, Oh, this, this is going to be major. I remember, um, I'll go back a little ways. Eric B for president. Mm. Um, Rob base. It takes two, uh, Snoop and Dre, their albums, the chronic and uh, Snoop Dogg album. That was fire. Uh, I, I can't remember offhand, but those are some of the ones I'm like, whoa. Mm. Those are some of the, the hot joints. From, from your expertise, though, what would you say? Is there a commonality amongst those records? Like, what is it about certain records that people just respond to? And then I, records I, they don't. I just think the feel of it. Mm. I think the feel of it was just a good feel. You know, it was just a good feel. It was um, it was danceable. People enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I just think it was the feel of the record. You could just feel it, you know. Now, what was, was the record? Go ahead, go ahead. It, it was. I, it's hard to explain. It's like, you know, you got that. It got that vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what was a record? Would you say or record that you would say that was a sleeper that had been floating around and then they popped off way later? Um, hmm. what believe it or not, I'm gonna say this one is crazy. Uh, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, that was one because they didn't, they weren't playing it, they were playing the other side, whatever the other side was. Because I, I think about how certain records, especially you know, pre internet, when they were only existing in mm-hmm. certain areas, one record that I can remember that was bubbling when I was in college and it bubbled for a minute was 50 Cent Wankster. 
Mm-hmm. Like people talk about in the club a lot, but I think sometimes people forget like how big Wankster was. Like I just remember mm-hmm. walking through the streets. I was in school at Howard in DC and I'm hearing and then I happened to go to New York and I heard it. Then I happened to go down south and I heard it all within the same month. And it was just, I was like, yo, who is, yo, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? It was something about that melody off top that was just like getting people's attention way before the radio had caught a hold to it. Right. Yeah, that was a good record. That was a good record. Yeah, that was a, that was a monumental record. When you think about the art of the DJ, what was something that you would credit to you being able to still have your career even after the sign? Uh, I still enjoy what I do. I still read the crowd. I still get pleasure of people enjoying what I do. It's like um, it's like cooking. If you cook and people enjoy your meal, you, you know you you continue to cook, and that's what I look at it, man. Because I I think me personally, I'm just um, a cat that loves to DJ. I love to entertain. I love to, and that's the key thing too. It's entertaining. You're, you're entertaining people when you DJ. You know, you play good music. You you make people uh, have a you know have that great good time, and it's 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 a it's a combination of a lot of things. But for the most part, just make make people feel good and entertain them. One of one of the things that saddens me sometimes is when I hear about a hip hop legend and they're having like a health issue and there's no financial like recovery and you know people are asking to donate and stuff like that what is it what would you think is is the slow process with hip-hop not having some sort of like healthcare plan or backup you know i i i was an advocate for a union where where people can you know get these plans you know just sign up and pay it on your own you know and just pay for the health care because there is no health care of course for for us so, you know, we had to get out, you know, some people's wives were, you know, some people were lucky they had wives with good, you know, family plans and stuff like that. Some people, like you said, don't have nothing, man. Some people, and I'll be honest here, in New York, it's really hard, too, because, uh, shoot, man, I, I, I was back home and I'm, I'm looking at some of them cats, man, and, you know, they could barely walk and all kind of things. And, uh, you know, people got, you know... Uh, uh, cancer and stuff like that is it's it's bad, and a lot of it they don't have proper health care. Yeah, it, the thing about that I did enjoy about Hip Hop Fifty was seeing even acts that I never got a chance to see. You know, you know, legends that I had heard about, and you know, seeing them get get some light to it. But Hip Hop hasn't always had the best reputation of te- of taking care of its elder statesmen. You know what I mean? And that, what what's some of the ways that you feel like, because when we see other genres, it appears that sometimes they do it a lot more than what we do. What is something that you feel like us in our culture, we can do when it comes to taking care of those who paved the way for us? I, I, I say we could do where it won't really cost anybody nothing, an annual concert or something. Benefit. Um, an annual concert. Um, you don't have to do a full show. Get a just how they've been doing this whole year and, you know, get maybe 10, 15 acts and, and donate it to a cause, man, that, that, you know, uh, can help somebody in need. You know, I, I know there's, um, 
couple of brothers, there's a brother that I know, um, bad case of arthritis in, in the legs and, um, you know, he's doing pretty bad. So I think, you know, it should be almost like, a, um, somewhere where you could take that money, they could sign up and get insurance. You know what I mean? To help get them insurance and stuff like that. I think a, a, a annual concert would be good. I agree. I, I think so too. I think it's something about what people hear. It's something about, I don't know. We America itself is infatuated with celebrity. And then as soon as we hear that they need some sort of help, we look at like, oh, celebrities asking me for money or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's not the same. Like you said, people have health concerns. It's not always this rock star drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. You get older, you know, I'm getting older and I, I have help. You know what I mean? Like I'm starting to pay attention a little bit more than I did, you know, so I, I'm with you on that. I think that could be something that could at least be a start, at least something we can look forward to. Mm-hmm. And then if we develop other ideas when it comes to that. With Hip Hop 50 coming up, I got to ask you some things that I know that you witnessed personally. This is just, this is a mm-hmm. my question personally. Were you there to witness how, because you brought up the song earlier, how LL Cool Mode started having some friction? Was there like a show or something that you, you know what I mean? Who going to go on first? I saw no, LL said recently on Breakfast Club, he walked on stage while L, you know what I'm saying? Like, was there something up there that we just didn't know in that legend? No, I'm going to tell you the funniest story of it. Me and um, DJ Easy Lee, which is Kumo D's DJ, we were teammates on, in the college basketball. That's the funniest thing ever. We was like, <laughs> we would be like, man, what's going on with this, man? You know. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got a gig with him coming up. Um, He's actually a, a sound engineer now, but I got a, I'm doing a show with uh, Lakeside and Cameo, and he's going to be, you know, working that show with me. Mm-hmm. But that's funny. But no, Kumo D always had a reputation going back to the Busy B days where he would get his reputation off on, um, you know, spitting lyrics at, at cats, you know. So that's how it really started. And L being LL, he was like, yo, I ain't going for that. You know, let's go. <laughs> So that's how it really started. But they cool as hell now. I mean, they they cool. Same thing with him and Ice-T. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to get to that because there was still a line where a lot of the artists back then were taking shots at each other, but they knew. Like, I mean, I, I got older and realized that Rakim and Big Daddy Kane had something going on. When I was a kid, I didn't realize that. So, you know, it's a lot of that. But... Kumo D was probably the first time where I really saw it in real time when he put that Kango hat under the tire. Mm-hmm. And I remember waiting to hear what LL was going to say after that. Like, that was like a buildup. It was almost like he was promoting for LL when I look back on it as a kid for that. Did y'all have that feeling like, oh, this dude dissed me? What's going on? I know you, you know what I'm saying? Getting his ear? Oh, yeah, for sure. The Kango <laughs> hat was crazy. That's why. But but to me, LL got him, Ice-T, and Hammer in one song. To the break of dawn. To the break of dawn. And he yeah. killed he, yeah, he killed he killed them all in one song. So for you, it was over in that song. He didn't have to do Mama Say Knock You Out. It was over in that song. No. Nah. It was over that song. Yeah. You know, I gotta I gotta agree with you. Like I went back and I listened to that break of dawn lyrically and the way he finessed, it's it's it hits harder to me than Mama Say Knock You Out. But it's mm-hmm. Mama Say Knock You Out goes back to that feeling that you said earlier. It's the impact. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was it was just it was just a lot. It was just a lot in that. When you see artists coming up now and they're kind of having like beef versus battles, 
in that? Do you feel like they know the difference in that? Because y'all used to kind of have, it was competitive unless y'all kept it to yourselves. It wasn't a lot of stories of people getting jumped or whatever. It was more like a competitive thing versus what we see now. I think social media got the game twisted mm. because I mean, LL, Shan, LL Kumo D, LL Ice T, LL Cannabis. It it was none of that, man. It, it's like, yeah, you can be like a little upset, but it was no cruise and talking trash on, on social media and all that. You know, we, we all did shows together. And it was like nothing, you know. Yeah. Social media has definitely messed with some. I mean, good thing y'all didn't have it back then. Um, I don't think nothing would happen. Mm, even still? Think, yeah. I don't think nothing would happen. Why, and why is that? I just think it was a different mentality back then, too. I think mm. right now, there's a lot of people like, I just got to call a spade a spade. Mm. I was watching the um, a clip of the, um, I think it was BET Awards. And there's a girl, I don't even know her name, but the lyrics that she was putting out, first of all, she couldn't rap. Mm-hmm. And then some of the stuff she was talking about, I'm like, whoa, man. And she, I remember Dr. Bobby Jones was looking at her like, yeah, that man, 80, 80, 82 years old or whatever he is, he just had a birthday. And I'm sitting there like, yo, you doing all that? Yo, I think what she said, her coochie is pink and her behind is brown. Oh, you're talking about sexy red. Yeah. That that to me is too much, man. It's too much. I mean, you know, can we say it's too much? Because huh? you brought up Snoop Dogg earlier. You know, because yeah. ain't no yeah. fun still. Ugh. It ain't easy on the ears when you listen to it now. Nah, not that, not that, not for a woman, man. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to kind of disagree. Mm-hmm. A woman talking like that to me is, it, it, it makes me cringe. So do you, you probably felt that same way in the era of the little Kims and the Foxy Browns and all them too. Then, if you felt that way about women, nah, I, 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 if I had to feel something. Like uh, crazy, it'd probably be a, like a Luke song, you know, one of them old Luke songs. Mm-hmm. But females, nah, you know, look, I mean, they they were edgy, yeah, Lil Kim and them were edgy, but not like that, man. Not talking about her private colors or her privates and all that. I hear you, and, but then then the flip side of it is what I said. The first part is they can't even rap; they don't so even I- have a good flow. I hear you on two things. As far as the can't rap, I kind of left that argument about 10 years ago because there's a lot of can't raps. You know, if I'm being really honest with you, I, I kind of exhausted that, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. But, you know, men been rapping about their sexual problems for since the inception, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just like a natural response when I see that. I don't necessarily look at it like, okay, well, a woman, you know, you know, hear it from a woman because the guys, I mean, most of my sexual education, unfortunately, it came from rap way before I tried anything with with mm. a woman. Mm. So I understand I, your point with that. Yeah. I, you know, I think it just responds, but, you know, to bring that, I, I got a couple more. When you see Hip Hop 50, and okay, you mentioned that because I think I do remember that that show. What is something that you are enjoying with hip hop celebrating this, you know, its 50th year? Like, what's something that you see now in hip hop that you like, man, I'm really glad that we got to this point? Um, I guess because there was a point that hip hop was kind of starting to flatline a little bit. Mm. And um, 
I think it was, I got to remember who it was. It was a DMX that kind of brought it back. I got to remember who it was. I can't remember who it was, but hip hop kind of flatlined a little bit. And um, like I said, I'm I'm happy for everybody that's getting paid and doing well in it. Uh, You know, I had my, my, my run still, you know, got a bit of run in me, but um, wow. I, I, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm just glad to see people getting, especially like a Hollywood and Houdini and, I'm just glad to see some of them are getting their props. There's more people that need to get their props, but I'm glad to see a lot of them are getting their props. Who are some people that you feel like that's being missed that, you know, should get some light? Uh, Cat like um, Curtis Blow. Mm. Uh, love him or hate him. Luke. Uh, who else? Somebody like an MC Shadi. Um, like I said, Houdini. Um, Oh man, it was a bunch of, I mean, it's a bunch, man. It, it's so many that you would have to, you know, uh, Egyptian lover out in the West coast. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, man, you got me thinking now, like, wow, <laughs> you know, different regions, you know, everybody that, that help, you know, put it all on the map, you know, just like I said, different regions, cats out of Houston, um, you know, ghetto boys, um, you know, they were big, you know, when they, you know, really put Houston on the map and, uh, DJ screw and, you know, all that. So you got a bunch of people. There's so many as, Curtis, as, Curtis blow, Curtis blow. Definitely. Blow? Yeah. Now I get you. I, I, I agree with that. I definitely would like to see some, some more. I like, I would like to see the celebration continue. Like we bench, we we say, okay, cool, hip hop fifty. You know, you can make an argument that's been around longer or whatever. But to your point, I would like to see something every year. I don't want to wait to another decade for there to be a celebration. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that should be celebrated every single year if we're going to continue this. So I'm definitely mm-hmm. with you on that. Did you? Would you say you had the foresight or you could see hip hop this far, like Biggie said, and where it is now, being a number one? It is pop culture now. Uh not at all. Not at all. I couldn't even imagine it where it is now. I mean, you got guys getting a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand a show. Uh, you know, some people are getting three hundred thousand a show. I'm like, wow. You know, like where we started seven hundred, five hundred dollars, you know. So, you know, I'm not mad at nobody. I'm just like, go get it. Get it. You know. That's real. That's real. DJ Cut Creator, you have anything that we need to be checking for? Uh yeah, um, called, uh, my actual podcast is called a DJ's World, and it's gonna be a YouTube channel also where I'm gonna take people on trips with me, you know, the ins and out of touring, and you know, going certain places and all that. And uh, you can find me um, a DJ's World on YouTube. You can find me Instagram DJ Cut Creator one one one, and uh, same thing with DJ Cut Creator on Facebook. Okay, how long you been? How long you started that? Uh, I'm actually working on it. I started it already. I had interviews okay. with um, like the Theodore, who created the Scratch. Um, uh, a bunch of cats. I had you know Mixmaster Ice from UTFO. A bunch of people. So I'm in the works, but I, I want to regroup it and do it right. You know, I kind of just was winging it before, but I want to do it right, organized, scripted. You know everything. No, I can't wait to see that because, I mean, 
I don't think there's enough platforms to actually talk about a DJ's life. So mm-hmm. I'm actually interested. I want to see that, especially when it comes to touring and how instrumental they are. Because the DJ, for me, is still the backbone of the culture, regardless mm-hmm. of how you spin it. That's just how yeah. I take it. So I'm all for seeing that. And this right here, luckily for me, I like to I always say that this is a, an open door. So please feel free to come back and let us know, you know, about a particular episode, anything with how we can support, because we're all about that over here. So, you know, I just want to tell you that personally. Thank you. And make sure you come back and let us know once that get up there. Oh, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank great, you. man. This is, this is, I know my blackness has been elevated. This has been another great episode of History of Being Black podcast. You can always hit me up on all my social medias at Jayhaw Society. And make sure you check out this latest episode with the legendary DJ Cut creator everywhere where podcasts can be listened to, Apple Music, Spotify, and all the other ones I'm always forgetting every single week. But y'all forgive me at this point. So it's totally fine. DJ Cut creator, thank you very much from the bottom of my heart, sir, for showing up. Highly thank you. appreciate it. Thank you. As usual, be blessed and successful, and we'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.